Sophie, when do you want a drink? Oh, do you know what really works? It's when, you know, people who just like circle around you and they go, oh, why aren't you drinking? You're such a loser. You should have a drink. And I'm like, oh, this really makes me want to be cool just like you and and have a drink. Okay. That's sarcasm. I'm being sarcastic. Okay. Okay. So you are a loser. I'm Abby Wamba. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm a parent. I'm a writer. And I uh, haven't had any alcohol in 2024 yet. And I'm Sophie Hagen, stand-up comedian and author. And I'm wasted. No, I'm not. (laughs) You really don't think we can tell sarcasm now anymore, ever? (laughs) No, I need you to be absolutely (laughs) certain that I am not wasted right now. I have had a nice little song, song, Pellegrino? Is that how you say it? That's how you say it. Aranciata Rosa. Okay, s- somebody went to Italy last year. <laughs> oh, you can tell. You can tell. San Pellegrino, Aranciata Rosa, which is a red orange. And uh, I've had a cup of coffee. What if this is how we started every episode from now on? Is like we just list the things we've imbibed so far today in our best pronunciations? Yeah, I think so. Okay, great. I also well, had a bagel, which I don't know what the accent is for bagel. 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 <laughs> is this always Italian? It's always Italian. Yeah, that was that wasn't really that was enthusiastic. Cereale with the milk. <laughs> I would do a lot for a bagel. I, as you know, live in Denmark where there is not a single good bagel in the whole country. There's not one. Not one good That's bagel true. in all of Denmark. I would do a lot for a bagel. Anyway, you listener, you're listening to Help Hole. This is the first episode we're recording after we officially launched Help Whole, the podcast. And you guys, you've been so nice. And we love hearing about about how you like a Help Whole. It feels really good. I met someone in real life who was like, I love your podcast. And I was like, Help Whole? And they were like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's so For that whole time you were talking, I was like, no, they're going to say no after you say Help Whole. But it was Help Whole. I know. It's so weird. It's that helpful. It was that one. I was like, really? But it's only been out for less than a week. <sighs> that feels really good. Days. We've only been a podcast for days. We, we have 12 Patreon members. Oh, my God. Sandra, Ella, Bethan, Cade, Ellen, Varenka, Kathy, Claire, Ilona, Kate, and Simone, and Carolyn. Oh, my God. You have them all memorized. <laughs> sure. So great. <laughs> Hopefully soon there will be uh, too many to memorize and um, one of them yeah. will be my mom. Oh, is your mom on the list? Yeah, I just noticed. I noticed that none of none oh, of no. the 12 people supporting our podcast, none of them are my mom. Ouchie. Hey, mom. Mom. Whether you're Abby's mother or not, welcome to Help Hole, where we'll be reading books that can help us improve as people and then we will present them to each other and to you. And we're going to figure out what we can take away from them to help us better ourselves. And uh, since the last episode, we've both had a bit of a think and we've decided to add a disclaimer because we don't want anything to be misunderstood here. So just a note to say we cannot do this podcast without these books that people have spent years researching and writing. And there's usually always value in reading an entire book rather than just listening to a summary. So please do go and support the authors and buy the books. This is not a review podcast. We just love these kinds of books and we just love talking about them so even if you don't like what we have to say about the book buy it anyway because we might be wrong <laughs> perfect uh maybe okay. we'll shorten that for future episodes but i think it's important that it needs to be said we're still workshopping it it's that but it got all the things across you did so good thank you so much okay so today i'm presenting sober curious by ruby warrington sophie just from the word what do you think sober curious means is it kind of like bi-curious where you're like, hmm, I'd like to try sobriety maybe once or twice to see if I'm actually sober? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's kind of exactly that. Yeah. It's yeah. like a cutesy term for someone who's questioning their relationship with alcohol or wanting to reduce or cut it out of their lives entirely. Is that you, Sophie Hagen? No, I think if I cut out alcohol any further, I would just never, ever drink. Because I don't drink that much. I drink maybe two, three, four times a year, and I rarely get drunk. Wow, okay, cool. That's cool. Don't You don't like alcohol, or you just like don't care about it? What? 
I mean, who likes? You don't like the taste, do you? No one likes the taste of alcohol. Yes, it's people not... like the taste of alcohol. No, people like alcohol very much, Sophie. Yeah, cocktails and stuff because that's like <laughs> sweet. No, you don't like cocktails. the taste of whiskey. People do like the taste of whiskey. Yes. No, they don't. They like the idea of it. No, no. one likes the taste. They no. learn to. I agree that nobody has it for the first time, probably, and is like mm, num 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 num. But to me, honestly, talking to someone like you who like doesn't <laughs> like the taste of alcohol is like so much rarer than people who are like, oh my god, I would love a beer right now. I feel like that's like Stockholm syndrome. Then where <laughs> it's like saying you don't love your kidnapper, but he's so sweet, and it's like, well, you don't like because you'd feel silly being like, ugh. This is gross. And then keep drinking it. It's poison. Well, it doesn't make biological sense that we should like the taste. This is going to be a literally... fascinating conversation today, Sophie. <laughs> well, so I did some ma- market research. I did some, p- some market research. That's not the right <laughs> Market <thing>. research on <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> I did some research by accident because I went out on Saturday. And I never go out. And I had one beer. I knew we were going to be talking about this book And I don't know anything about the book, but I knew we were going to be talking about it. So I was like trying to notice because I didn't know what I was going to have to say about it. And I hosted a QA and a with Aubrey Gordon and Jeannie Finley for their documentary, You Are Fat Friend. Cool. Just super great and super fun. It was so cool. And then we went to this rooftop bar afterwards to have drinks. So I had a beer. First of all, I was like, I should have a cocktail because everyone else has a cocktail. So I should have a cocktail. But then I was like, no, I think I just want a beer. But it was really hard for me to figure out what I actually wanted. And what I really wanted was a Coke. I just wanted like, <laughs> I just wanted a Coke Zero because I was thirsty and that felt like what I wanted. But mm. then I got a beer because everyone else was drinking and I was like, ah, I'm getting something I don't want. It was so loud. <laughs> it was so, it was a Saturday and I was like, oh God, this is why I don't go out. Like I am not a person who likes places where they drink alcohol. Mm. Like, it's just loud. It's horrible. I was like, oh, I do- we had to sit and scream to each other. I loved most of the people in that group. And some of them didn't even know who they were. So we had these like superficial conversations. I don't like superficial conversations. It's like, so you're from Denmark. How's that? And I was like, yeah, it's really great. It's really fun. Really <laughs> like- I was just like, I don't know you. What are we doing? And then I got really drunk based off of one beer. Incredible work. Incredible. I know. Great I know. stats. I was slurring. I was like, okay, oh, where's the taxi? You did leave me a couple of voice notes that I was like pretty excited about. I tried to not think about what I had left on people's phones. They were really sweet. Really sweet. I loved them. I'm not a mean drunk. Mm -mm. I'm a bit of a pathetic drunk. Oh, (laughs) it was one beer. So I was just like, this is horrible because I kind of, I was like sober enough that I knew I was doing something embarrassing. Anyways, Mm. it was also expensive. And then I was hung over for like a day and a half. From one beer? Yeah, I know. Wow. Because I don't drink that often. So when it does happen and it was cold, I think the cold makes you more drunk and hung over. Sober science with Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drink in the cold. (laughs) I'm just spreading facts here. Just spreading facts. No, I think that is the thing, isn't it? When it's colder, you get drunk. I've never heard this. Sure, I've, I've heard, never I'm, heard. I've this. heard that. I have heard. That's that. like the air in a basketball. Like if you, if it's like cold, the basketball bounces less. That's what? the only thing about cold. That has nothing to do. <laughs> then maybe, maybe it's the same principle. When yeah. it's cold outside, the air in a basketball like constricts, so the basketball bounces less, and the alcohol in alcohol constricts, and then you bounce less as a person, and you have a bigger hangover, you're less bouncy. Well, you get drunker, so you'd bounce more. Fine. Anyways, I had a good time because of the people I was with. I would have had a better time if we had not been drinking and we'd been in a very nice, quiet place. Can Sounds I remind quite... you of what you said in one of the voice notes was that tonight okay. was so good because it, it reminded me everything I like about alcohol and everything I don't oh, like yeah. about alcohol. I forgot so about what, what did I you like about it? Oh, obviously, I was feeling more giddy and less anxious, mm-hmm. right? And there was a feeling of like, fuck it. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, let's do this. There was like a feeling of um, almost excitement. But then people got loud and I was like, oh, shut up. And then I wasn't fun anymore. If I could have the perfect circumstances, I think I could really enjoy alcohol. But I think my 
social anxiety and my general anxiety, <laughs> all of the def- different levels of anxiety I have, just kind of kill the vibe Okay. a bit. I'm not like anti-alcohol. I used to get drunk a lot when I was younger. I'm just now, at one point I was sitting there thinking, oh, I can't wait to go home and pet my dog. And I was like, oh, I'm old now. I'm so old now. I think that night kind of summarizes my relationship with alcohol. Like, I'll have it and I can have fun with it. It's very hard for me to find the perfect circumstances that makes alcohol enjoyable. Okay, got it. It is so easy for me to find the perfect circumstances to make alcohol enjoyable. I think, yeah, I love that feeling that you were describing, that like feeling when you have your first beer and you're like, okay, we're doing this. What are we doing? We're all doing it. That's like so fun to me. I'm fun when I drink. I'm a nice drunk too. Like no, yeah. so nobody complains. Nobody's like, oh, Abby, <laughs> stop. And I work in comedy, as do you. So this does not mm-hmm. seem to be a problem for you, but I'm around free drinks and people drinking all the time. And so I make rules for myself about when I can drink because truly if I drank like you, if my rule were the same as yours, I'll drink anytime it seems like a good idea to drink. Anytime I feel like a drink, then I would drink all the time. So I I have boundaries around when I'm allowed to drink. So you're more um, like a, why wouldn't I drink rather than a, but why would I drink? Yeah. I mean, not logically, but yeah. Like if you offered me a drink, it seems like a great idea because you're offering it to me. Yeah, so but you're I, also, you're into improv. So you're very much a yes and kind I'm a, of person. I'm, I live a yes and life. Yeah. Do you want to be a yes and a shot? <laughs> I actually don't. I've always been, since I was 20, always been really smart about shots I'm not interested in. Even when I'm drunk, I'm like, get it away from me. Any kind of liquor, I'm like, no, thanks. Also, I don't trust the people that push shots. Like, I don't understand what they're trying to get at. Why are you getting out shots? Yeah, that has never had, been a thing for me. Have you ever had the shots at, I'm going to translate this, the the, Gris, the the happy pick in Copenhagen? No, I've never. I've never. Oof, that's good, though. I'm it's like really drinking think. a wine gum, but it's Ew. alcohol. Yeah, I just, no. I don't like alcohol when it tries to taste like something else. You don't like alcohol. I'm like, when it's trying to disguise itself, then I don't like it. There was a brand of alcohol, I think it was called Something Frog, and it was green, and it was like Bacardi Brisa, but it was so cheap. It was around the time when Bacardi Brisa was like a thing when you were a teenager. And I like, what was it called? Smirnoff Ice, those ones? And there was one, like a cheap brand from somewhere in Eastern Europe. It was called Frog. It was green. And I had the summer of my life because they were all like less than a pound, like less than a dollar in Netto in Denmark. We bought all of them from every Netto we could find because they were so cheap. And they were then retracted. We never saw them again. I think something was in them that was not okay. You could not taste the alcohol. And we were so drunk for an entire summer. That was fun. Oh, that sounds like it's good. So I like it when alcohol disguises itself because then it okay. tastes better. And then I understand it more. When you drank the other day and you like had this moment, did you have your anxiety lift while you had your first drink? Did it go somewhere? And then what happened when you were sober again the next day? I think it lifted a little bit. But also I was out and about. The next yeah. day I was home. So my anxiety was automatically less. Okay. So, so if what there ha- had been any second day anxiety, it... It wouldn't have felt like that because I was home in my safe, safe cave. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Like, so when you get sober, you get anxious? Yeah. When I drink, I immediately like feel, I don't have a lot of anxiety generally, but when I do and I have a drink, it goes away, my anxiety. But then the next day I feel it like times a hundred. Even if I've only had Mm. one or two drinks, I feel really anxious after I've had drinks. So I was thinking about it this morning and I was like, it's like if there's like anxiety playing in my life, if I have a drink, it's like it pushes pause on the tape of anxiety. The whole time I'm drinking, it's stopped. It's completely like not there. But then it's like somebody turns it all the way up while it's on pause. So the next day, then when it plays again, it's just like so much louder. And It feels really bad. And that's a reason that as I've gotten older, my hangovers have gotten longer and that feeling has increased so much. I don't think it's worth it anymore. That sounds really uncomfortable. And I could imagine maybe like, I don't know, how to set a time on it, but like maybe once a month you could be like, yeah, it's worth it. But that's not worth it that often. No. And I feel like that's the thing is like why I'm looking at it is it used to feel worth it because those times afterwards were shorter and they were just like not as bad. But now 
I'm looking at it again because I'm thinking a lot about when I'm allowed to drink, when it will be worth it to have that moment. And then like after I do, like if I'm not with my kids and I like let myself off the hook, oh, no rules tonight, then I'll like drink and then I'll be hungover for days afterwards and anxious about like the whole thing. Even if I was with people I really trusted, I'll feel like anxious about what I said and if I was a jerk. I'm really not a jerk when I drink, but I still worry about it so much. Oh, so it's not like an underlying anxiety. It's more like, are you anxious about certain things that you did that night or said? Or is it just a feeling? Yeah, what I said and did. Also, I do know that like a lot a lot of things that I've done when I am drinking, I get really nice. But then in my head, a really nice thing to do to someone when you're drinking, a really nice thing to do is tell them your first impression of them and like how <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> you're sober so now, I hope. What was your first impression of me and how were you wrong? I'm not getting wrapped into this. Absolutely not. Because that's the uh, kind of conversation yeah. that I regret so much afterwards is like whatever I Why? said. Why? What was your first impression of me? That I just thought you were so bad. I thought you were wasted. You... you were so wasted. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, that that person will not stop drinking those bright green frog drinks. <laughs> And if anyone knows where you can get the green Polish frog drink, I will happily pay big money for that. Abby, does that mean you are, in fact, sober curious? I guess so. I think I am. I just did dry January and actually I'm doing I'm doing a whole dry 100 days, which I think takes me to like April 7th. 2024 and then i'm gonna see which you gonna... think i think it might take me to april 7th at 12 34 p.m yeah <laughs> you, you don't have a problem absolutely not i counted out those just one time but i'm looking at it i don't love the term sober curious but i think it is actually the definition like exactly this book's whole title is a hundred words long. It's insane. The whole title of this book is Sober Curious, The Blissful Sleep, Greater Focus, Limitless Presence, and Deep Connection Awaiting Us All on the Other Side of Alcohol. <laughs> wow. Do you want to rename your book now, Sophie? Yeah, I feel like it, it should be. <laughs> I've really been uh, playing hard and fast with those, those rules there. I chose this book off a list from the New York Times. The list was called Eight Books to Help You Drink Less or Quit Altogether. And the reason I picked this book is because I regularly read a newsletter called The Small Bow, which is excellent and I really recommend to people. And it's about recovery from addiction. It's beautifully written essays by A.J. Derulio. I'm I'm not sure how to say his name. It's also written by contributors, readers of the newsletter write in. And it's illustrated by Edith Zimmerman. It's beautiful. And if you like newsletters, it's such a good one. Sign up for it. We'll put it in the show notes. It's kind of intense. The stories in it are like about people really struggling with addiction and sobriety. And it's really hopeful and amazing. But sometimes I kind of feel like a voyeur reading it. The stories don't really apply to me. The feelings sometimes do, like things that they struggle with, but I feel like I'm reading something I shouldn't be allowed to read. I don't know. There's, it just feels really intense sometimes. So I wanted to pick something lighter about sobriety to read. And so I picked this from this list and boy, is it lighter. <laughs> it's so light. This is the description from that article. Okay. This book was recommended by Eric Reinach, who's a who works in addiction treatment marketing. Which what is that? I don't know what that is. Addiction treatment marketing. Yeah. That's specific. Yeah, and it doesn't feel great either. I'm I'm curious about it. I should look it up. But well, it's like marketing feels like a very different world than addiction treatment. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and and it seems like maybe that should be a good thing to market, but I don't know. Anyway. What he said about it was, much of what keeps people from getting sober, worries about social life, friendships, and dating is addressed in Sober Curious. Miss Warrington also shares advice on getting through firsts, like the first wedding or holiday party you attend without drinking alcohol. It's less black and white than the big book, which is like the basic text for Alcoholics Anonymous. And it reminds me of the many things I've gained from being sober. I was like, oh, that sounds great. Sounds really good. I thought so. And one thing I really do like about the book is that it stresses you don't have to be what the world sees as a problem drinker to be able to benefit from sobriety. And I really like that as a premise for the book because I think when I was growing up, if you were sober, it was because you 
fucked up things big time. That's what my understanding of it was, that people aren't sober unless they actually don't have a choice, which is kind of a wild... Yeah, I I want to say that that's changing because I feel like now people can say, oh, I don't drink and people... Well, I mean, this is just a feeling I have. What do I know? But I feel like people can say that and people will be a lot more like, oh, is it for health reasons? Is it for what? You know, there could be a million reasons. Or I feel like, yeah, 10 years ago, if someone said they were sober, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry I asked. This is Yeah, and like, oh, my God. Yes, and why. Yeah. Like, if they were really yeah, why? reason, they might say why. Yeah. and Exactly. Yeah. And now I think you're absolutely right. It's so much more common to have a conversation about it. Dry January is like something that lots of people do mm. and try, and it doesn't have to be for any reason. It's kind of similar yeah. to like if someone runs a marathon, you're like, oh, how good for you. Cool. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's when I go, why? <laughs> Did something traumatic happen? <laughs> In your life, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, you must be going through something. She's saying for her to swear to lifelong sobriety that she'll never have a drink again, that could be detrimental for her, that it's like perfectionism. Mm. So she thinks about total sobriety as a thing that wouldn't necessarily be helpful for her. She's like, leaves the door open that she could and does from time to time have a very carefully considered drink and that that isn't like the end of her relationship with sobriety, which is different than like in Alcoholics Anonymous where people commit themselves to lifelong sobriety. And then if you drink, it's a relapse and you start over from day one. That's That's sort of so interesting because for me... I can so relate to the perfectionism being a potential issue. Mm-hmm. I think if I said to myself, even though I have no issues at all with alcohol, I never drink. If I suddenly told myself you can never drink again, yeah. I think I would suddenly really want a lot of alcohol because I have had eating disorders and I think it's the same thing in my head. So like when I wanted to try and eat less meat, if I'd gone, I'm now vegan, fuck, I would have eaten an entire cow alive and raw. But If I was like, hey, let's try and cook something tonight that doesn't have meat in it, that I can do. So maybe I'm like vegan curious. Yeah. Can you imagine a group of people that would be more pissed off than vegans if someone was like, (laughs) I'm vegan curious. I eat sausages and eggs and milk and stuff, but... (laughs) I've had moments in my life where that was really true about veganism. I had to make real choices about how to say that or who to say it around or like, like mm-hmm. it does feel like that one is loaded. It's but not all vegans it, who are batshit, to use a animal loaded word, but the ones <laughs> that are are truly batshit. I have been vegan. I need to come out. I And I actually mm-hmm. think... I probably will be again at some point in my life. I started being vegan when I was breastfeeding and I was like, oh my God, it's so emotional to make milk for something. I was like, I didn't know. And I was just like, I stopped for a long time, but then I would, I would eat things that weren't and like drink things that not drink things. Who's drinking milk? Who's drinking milk is what I want to know. Do you drink milk? I have occasionally had a a little (laughs) glass of milk with a cookie. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Right, I usually use oat milk for my coffee. Well, right now I'm eating all kinds of everything. Like I have no um, standards Let's, or What's ethics. that film that everyone is like, you should watch this film? I was once kept captive by a vegan and forced to watch a bunch of vegan stuff. That's a story for another time. But there's a movie that everyone's like, once you watch this, you go vegan forever. Let's try and do that for a bonus episode because that could be really fun. Okay, great. Ruby Warrington talks about people that are sober who are like, will not have another drink and have decided on sobriety. She calls them sober, sober. And she calls people like her who are like sober, but then once in a while they'll have a drink, like the veganish sober people. She calls them sober curious. And that's how she relates to them throughout the whole book. And every time she says sober, sober, it does like drive me nuts because I'm like, those people are sober. <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't get to just add another word because you want to be a different kind of sober. You're not sober. They're sober. That one bugged me. Because that is a thing that I've really thought about. And I think it's helpful to read something from this perspective because it's so much easier for me to 
think like, oh yeah, then maybe I'll have a drink. Every It does take the pressure off so much in my thinking about alcohol because I've been thinking, what is the point of keeping this in my life? But then mm. whenever I think about never drinking again, I'm like, but that seems uh, pretty extreme. And then that mm. brings up this whole line of questioning like, why? Why does that seem extreme? And the reason is just because it's such a normal thing in society, it feels like you're saying no to more than drinking to say no to alcohol to me. Saying no to like this club or these moments for the rest of your life. That's what feels scary about it. But her thinking is like, okay, but you can have it both. And I'm like, I hate that that feels so much easier, but it does. I would imagine it like the people who need to swear it off for the rest of their lives, that is because they can't have a chill is not the right word. They can't have a, what's the word? Like a laissez-faire? Is that just a French word for chill? relationship with alcohol like if they have one drink then they're now going to be drunk every day for the rest of their lives right so like that's like alcoholism and disease i think it is if that's not your case then i guess you, yeah why should you have to say no forever but there are so many people sophie and i consider myself one of them where i don't qualify for like alcohol use disorder like i'm gonna get into it later i don't qualify oh, okay. for that I'm not being negatively impacted by alcohol regularly and still making a choice to do it. I can go periods without drinking, without it like being a struggle. But there's a whole group of people between you who like you just don't mm. even think about it and AUD, alcohol use disorder, who are gray area drinkers. That's like the term. No one would say you have a problem. You're Drinking fits into the realm of normal, acceptable use, but you have to look then at what's a problem and whether it makes sense for you Mm. because of what you can tell, like the way that it's impacting you and the way that it's impacting like the way that you're interacting and how much you're thinking about alcohol, which is another Mm. thing I'm going to get into that I loved about this book. A lot of the things about this book, honestly, I found really helpful, the ideas I hated the way that she said them. I just really like could not stand her writing style. I did send you a excerpt from the book so you could just get a taste of it. Uh, Yes, I have it here. Okay. This is from page 25. So like in the beginning of the book and it's in a chapter called How the Habit Takes Hold. So she's like setting up her life as a drinker before becoming sober curious. Take it away, Sophie. Okay. Was I having some very strong positive feelings about my newly minted role as in-demand girl about town? Hell yes. (laughs) Did I desire lots more feeling popular and cool? Is that a sentence? Did I desire lots more feeling popular and cool versus feeling like a ghost in my own life? I most certainly did. And was I also teaching my brain that imbibing? What the Imbibing. (laughs) Imbibing. That's not a word either. Imbibing? That is a word. That's absolutely oh, a word. Okay, fair this is, yeah. okay, that's yeah. on me. That's on me. Yeah. Was I also teaching my brain that imbibing copious amounts of alcohol was an integral part of my experiencing these new feelings? Abso-fucking-lutely. <laughs> oh, wow. You can apply the above equation to your own booze story by simply filling in the gaps. Was I having some very strong feelings about X? Did I desire a lot more feeling X and a lot less feeling Y? I just, I have to interrupt because like this part, she even got algebra wrong. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Was I having some strong feeling about X? Did I decide I'm more feeling? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. In my case, you can also throw in a new relationship with a man that I will will call the Pisces, Mm -hmm. who I knew from the moment we first shared airspace would be the love of my life. Even better, the person I now decided with the entirety of my mind, body, and soul, and to whom I remain happily married 20 years down the line, was a DJ and a party promoter. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> Christ, that is a red flag. Never, geez, why would you admit that? When he landed a gig launching Hot New... I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> when he landed... When he landed When he landed a gig launching hot new nightclub fabric, it came with a card for unlimited free drinks in the VIP area where I wound up proposing to him one leap year. Yes, drunk. Now my nights off were spent dancing on speakers, my Sundays recovering over pints of lager in sunny, soft focus pub gardens. What do you think? What do you think about that, Sophie? (sighs) 
there's always this thing when a friend talks about like their new boyfriend and then they say and he's a dj <laughs> and you're just like oh no oh oh i need to save i need to save her i think she sounds fun and <laughs> <laughs> i think she sounds like a lot of fun and i would never really want to engage in conversation with her yeah it's all like that it's all i mean i probably would like to engage in conversation i like everybody yeah, but you like everyone you like i everyone. do i probably would really like her in person i probably wouldn't i'd probably even find this likable in some way after but i struggled reading this the last 50 pages i listened to the audiobook on 2.5 times speed <laughs> while i read it loud because it was the only way i could stay focused because i just found it so trying with the way that she wrote, but she just does like a lot of a questions posed to herself and then one word answers like, did I do this? Absolutely. Is like, and then she does a lot of like hashtag life goals written out, a lot of using astrological signs as pseudonyms for various lovers. <laughs> um, so do you think that we should do that? Do you think from now on we should have people refer to us as the Scorpio and the Aquarius? I need you to never remind me that you're an Aquarius because that makes me question <laughs> this entire decision to make this podcast. There's not a worse match on earth than a Scorpio and an Aquarius. I am a, my kid is a Scorpio and I, I so I have to kid. overcome that every single day. So one day if you're sick, can your kid just come and do the podcast oh instead? Remember one Scorpio time you guys Scorpio? played Uno together and it was so intense. It was great. <laughs> so it was War of the Worlds. It was like, Scorpio versus Scorpio. Except was one was a child and the other person was trying really hard to remind themselves of that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say, booyah, bitch! Who won? Hey, Uno, bitch! In your face when it's a tiny child. Anyway, I'm really happy to read my horoscope, to believe in horoscopes when it when it suits me. I'm not like anti-horoscope, but then I discard them. when. But like to have the idea of writing a book... And naming characters in the book by their star sign actually is too far for me. It's way too far for me. Like I will happily entertain any conversation about star signs until you start naming characters in books by them. And then I'm done. I'm over. I'm done. I'm out of here. Also, I feel like, I mean, Pisces sure is a thing, but call him the DJ. Don't try and yes, pretend he's not a DJ. DJ. Call him the DJ. It's way more. I call when in my book, Will I Ever Have Sex Again? Uh, pre-order now. comes out in May. I've called a man the comedian because I feel like that summarizes Perfect. him well enough. Perfect. You know, and then red enough flags. As opposed to the magician who is the... <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the writing of this book the whole no. time. I want to talk about the okay. things in the book, but... I have to, one more time, when I was trying to find the excerpt about the Pisces or find something from that, I found this two-star review of the writing by Allison S. on Goodreads. She made sure to say that it was a round down from 2.5 stars, that okay. she had to pick between two and three. She picked two. I loved this review. Will you please read yes. Allison S.'s excerpt from her review of the book. I just thought it really covered everything I wanted to say. And, and why should I reinvent the wheel? Allison S. did it perfectly. Go ahead, Sophie. Okay. Here's a handy hint from me. Avoid the chapter called Getting High on My Own Supply at all costs <laughs> if you have a low tolerance for all things hipster and new age or now age, as the author insists on renaming it. One of the quotes in the cover mentions it offering practical strategies. Yes, but only if you inhabit the same privileged, liberal, white, educated, and middle-class world as the author. An author who also counts among her friends a, how do you even say it? Haitian, Haitian voodoo priestess Haitian, and root worker. Haitian voodoo priestess and root worker. Here's an extract that gives you an idea of what I mean about the writing style, which caused much merriment when I read it aloud to my daughter. <laughs> okay, so now I'm reading a quote from from yeah. someone that you have asked me to quote with so it's a quote within a quote within a quote yeah. okay another reason i think the pisces has rediscovered djing as part of his sober curiosity is that the sonic journey satisfied the part of him that used to booze to transcend the earthly realms <sighs> okay and then she said we're back to alison now who says deathless prose i'm sure you agree 
She also likes to use the expression thank goddess and to use italics at least once on every single page. I rest my case. It was perfect. It was perfect. Can I just say I'm on board throughout the whole thing. And until she started shitting on italics, uh, I use a lot of italics in my book. So I think that's (laughs) fine. And that is because I need people to know how I meant to say things. You're controlling the reader. Yes, I'm controlling the reader. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine if you do it. I loved that. But lucky for me, I am a privileged, liberal, white, educated, and middle (laughs) class. So here's what I found useful in the book. Here are my main takeaways from the book. Things I really got from this book. And I do need to just tell the listeners that I printed out the things I was going to talk about in this book. And we had a shared document about it. And on the page that I'm holding right now is just a giant picture of Olivia Pope drinking from a giant (laughs) glass of red wine. Olivia Pope is the character from Scandal, right? Yes. It was one of my favorite TV shows. It's so good. Her character has drinks from this giant, it's almost like a gin glass full of red wine. And it's the only thing that has like ever made me want to be someone who drinks all the time because this is she always wears these like soft white sweaters jumpers and she sits in her white couch and then she's like really distressed and she drinks this big glass of wine and she's the most beautiful woman in the world and I just watched that and I'm like I want to sit on a couch and drink wine from a big glass and then I wanted you to see that because I assume you've never watched Scandal because you're not the type I did try to watch Scandal because I wanted to have the feeling of a show like that, like a comfort watch, somebody's in charge and figuring it all out and we can trust her kind of show. But it didn't, you're right, I'm not the type. It didn't work for me. But this is the kind of thing, drinking in popular culture, like what is she doing in this? She like is a- Well, she's she's kind of a lawyer, but also she's more like a fix. She's a fixer. So she fixes big problems for like very important people in Washington. She has an affair with the president. It's a whole thing. Oh, cute. Okay, great. Okay, so right. So this is the kind of thing that in popular culture, you see these like high profile people doing really important jobs. Literally, her job is figuring out how to fix things, undoing other people's problems. If she really drank this much every night, if she really (laughs) drank one glass of wine that's that big in this picture... That would be crazy. Like she wouldn't be like a different show. She'd wake up hungover and be like, yeah, I'm not going to help this. The president sort out this world crisis. And that is like such a thing for me too, is like when I watch shows and they're like unwinding with a glass of wine or like at night they come home and that's the way that it's like shorthand in TV for like now we're chilling. When I see that stuff, I'm like, yeah, but that seems like the ideal. And that um, is an example of a time that I feel what Ruby Warrington calls FOMA, which is the fear of missing alcohol. Like when I think about if I stopped drinking, what would I regret or what would I miss or what would I be scared of missing? That kind of thing is really it. Coming home and just like completely turning yourself off to whatever happened by like filling up a giant wine glass and then like doing whatever you want to do. That kind of thing, when I see it on TV, I'm like, then I'll never do that again. Truly, it never feels the way it looks like it'll feel, but God, it's really appealing, I feel like. Are there times where you like really want a drink or think about as combined with drinking? Well, I was thinking about this a lot and there isn't. There's not a single like specific situation I can think of because, but that's not to say that I don't have moments where I really want a drink. It just doesn't happen that much, but it happens quite randomly there's an Australian comedian called Tessa Waters, who's amazing. I haven't seen her for literally since this happened, which is probably like eight or 10 years ago. But we were meeting just like to have a cup of coffee. And then we both had gigs in the evening. Somewhere around the afternoon, we were like, let's get a bottle of wine. Ooh. And it felt like, what? Like a Tuesday afternoon? But we both really wanted the, the bus. And then we shared a bottle of wine and got really drunk and went and did this it was just like an open mic gig whilst drunk and it was just the most fun it was the (laughs) most fun and stuff like that where it's like let's do this this could be really fun right now for whatever reason like when it's a genuine desire that I have yeah then I would love to be able to do it like then I want to be able to do it (laughs) sorry Bobby (laughs) (laughs) I just don't often have that feeling but when I do 
yeah, I want to be able to do it. I think I might need to go check on this dog. Well, yeah, go check what Bobby has seen. Okay. <laughs> Bobby. I love that he howls. You're listening to Help Hole with Sophie Hagen and Abby Wambo. When it does happen, I'd like to be able to do it, but I don't often have those. But when they do come up, I'm like, yay. Yeah. That feeling of being like that excitement, like we're doing this. And there's something about that too, where it feels like going in on it with another person. It feels like that like special club feeling, I feel like, when you're a kid. Should we do it? Should we make a fort? Like, are we going into this fort together? Is that what we're going to spend the afternoon doing? That's really fun. The term FOMA, I don't like. I don't like any of her terms. I don't like the things she <laughs> says. But the idea, looking at the times I want alcohol and what I want from it is helpful for me. That feeling is what I what I want from it a lot of times. Like that feeling of we're doing this together, connecting with somebody else. Or like... I noticed from thinking about it from this, a time that I really would miss not drinking alcohol if I was just like, I'm never going to do it again for the rest of my life. A time that comes up that I would be like worried about that for is when I feel really happy about something. When I want to celebrate, I want to have a drink, which is so interesting to me because why don't I just want to have that good feeling? Like it's something about yeah, like- you're already happy. You don't need the alcohol. Yeah. The idea of thinking through what I'm afraid of missing if I don't drink was really helpful. The term, even though I don't like the term, having a term to think about it like that, it's good. I liked that. Yeah. There's also something in this part about FOMA. She talks about euphoric recall, which is helpful. Basically, she's saying like you think back on the times when you had alcohol and you remember them as so fun if you remember them. Also, my dog is like chewing by the – if you can hear chewing (laughs) – I can't hear chewing. Okay. But I can often hear my dog chewing. So. All right. Well, if you guys, if you can hear chewing, it's not me. Okay. I'm not eating a bone. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Euphoric recall. So the idea is that you remember things from the past that were good as like better or like enhanced. And then in your mind, like alcohol is a big part of that. And it wasn't necessarily. Also, for me, I am someone who like doesn't remember things when I drink. When I drink too much, and um, so I don't recall anything, so it's not so euphoric. But when I do, there is like a glow around drinking memories that I'm like, "Is that real? I don't know." But it was. It's- but also, oftentimes, what is it? Just the fact that we all stayed up very late and hung out. Yes. Is it the alcohol, or is it the fact that oh my god, it's past our bedtime and we're like still awake? And there is something that I really have where I would love to like sit in a corner and hold hands with someone and be like, and now we're going to do that. And what if we just are like, like best friends for the night and we do this thing and, and it feels like alcohol is like permission to do that. Like the bottle is the, instead of holding hands, like we're doing this, we're drinking this together. There's like some kind of club feeling around drinking together. Like it feels like we all step on a boat and I would love to just like be on a boat with my friends all night and be like, nobody can go anywhere. And that is something you get from drinking, right? You get this feeling that's like, we're all here. No one's going anywhere. And that's so fun. And that's yeah. really, because I don't think I act that much different when I'm drinking. I'm a relaxed person. I'm funny. I'm loud. I'm silly. I'm gregarious. But it's like, because we all decided to do it together and we're all like turning on this thing, like, I don't think it really gives me access to a different part of my personality. Like, I think some people feel like that. It's more like we're all doing this thing. I can totally see how you would be the same person, drunk or not. But the general person, is it also about when you do drink, other people around you drink, and then they become more like you? Yeah. And like less tense. You could be drunk yes. all the time, and I would be like, oh, okay, that makes sense, personality wise. Yeah. But you live in a country full of Danish people, and I live in a country full of British people. And I definitely like a lot of them more when they are drunk. That's so interesting. All, all buzzed. Yeah, yeah. Not drunk. I don't like, I don't think I really like anyone when they're drunk, drunk. Yeah. But when they're like, oh, I've had my pint of beer. So now I'm allowed to be a bit uh, more relaxed and I can actually yeah. talk about a feeling or two. Yes. I'm like, oh, thank God. It's such a weird construct, but it's do I then have to drink 
an alcohol-free beer or something that looks like a drink. So like to like lure people into knowing that I can like hang out with them. Like it feels really convoluted. Is it just a permission thing? Like, is that what drinking is? Like, is that the primary purpose that it serves in my life that I like? We all got our parents to sign this permission slip that means we can go on the fun trip together. And now we're like on the fun trip together. Is that what it is? I don't I think, know. I think I think you're onto something with the parent thing because it made me think why we started drinking in the first place. And that felt like, oh, well, now we're adults. It's almost like, yeah. oh, what you do when you're an adult is you, you know, you drink yeah. alcohol. Like if, if you went up and you ordered a glass of milk, you would be like, excuse me, yeah. how old are you? I was thinking about like drinking and when I've had the most fun. And sometimes that has been dancing. And yeah. I've been like, oh, we had so much fun yesterday. We were just dancing. And I was like, I, you can technically, I've heard, <laughs> dance without being drunk. But then shame comes in. So it's like you then you have the alcohol so you can do the fun things. Yeah. yeah. And I know when I've been nervous about having one night stands and stuff like that, I have felt like I really needed alcohol so that I could not be shy or embarrassed or scared, nervous, whatever about yeah. it. So it's like, is it the alcohol we want? Or is it just like, yeah, permission or for not to be so afraid of everything? Which is kind of sad. I would rather want to be a person who could just do those things without alcohol, I think. And I didn't start drinking until I was 20 or something, like really at all. And my partner started drinking when he was 14 because he was in Denmark. In America, hmm. it was like some people drank, but it, some people drank and some people didn't. It was kind of like my high school, I felt like it was like the bad kids drank. Like that was like a bad thing. Really? It wasn't normal. And in Denmark, it feels much more like everybody drinks. Yeah, I was the last person in like our city to get drunk and I was 16. The last person in your city. <laughs> Everybody is drunk. No, like teenager. The last, yeah. the last teenager. <laughs> in my in my year. It was you like it was like a talking point. Wow. Oh my God, Sophie hasn't been drunk yet. Oh and 16 God. was late. Very late. I mean, I I've been talking about it today. Sophie hasn't been drunk yet today. She keeps drinking this San Pellegrino. And I need you to tell my former classmates. That I'm still them. a legend. I'm gonna tell them. But having a kid here where it's so normal to drink as a teenager. I think also is really like pushing me to look at it. Like what she, she's 11. I can't imagine her drinking in three years. I want her to be able to talk to me about it. Danes are really good. I think at having like open conversations about this stuff with their kids. Mm. They have a really wild drinking problem, I think as a country, but they are healthier about it in the way where it's like kids, they don't drive. They're calling their parents if they need a ride. They're communicating with their parents. They're not trying to hide this from their the adults in their life, even their teachers know, their teachers give them information about it. Those things are so much better. But I'm just like, my partner just had a year of no drinking. He just like, I'm going to do dry January. And then he extended it for three months and then he extended it for six months. And he just like did a year, like basically without thinking about it. But he, I mean, he thought about it, but he just like, it wasn't an issue for him, which made me think like, I think that would be harder for me than just being like, I think I'll do it longer. But we realized during this year, like he hadn't had a year of not drinking since he was 14 years old. That's wild and so common. But I have had years of not drinking because I've been pregnant and breastfeeding. But like that didn't feel like a choice at all. I felt like I couldn't wait to be able to drink again. And it's really cool that he did it. And it really made me want to look at it more in my life. Why? What am I getting from it besides the idea that I get something from it? Well, that's what you get from taking it away, right? You go, you have to think about it. Like, oh, why do I want to drink right now? Yes. What's it doing to me? And then you end up realizing that maybe it's fine if I don't. Yes. And other times you might, at the end of the 100 days, you might be like, do you know what? I wish I had drunk that one night because that would have been fun. And then you realize, oh, maybe it's just one night in 100 days where it would have yeah. been fun instead of every night. Yeah. And also, I've been listening to this podcast about sobriety that's by Jillian Geltz. I don't know. She's a biochemist and she writes, talks about like the science behind it. But a crazy thing is she's like, at two months of sobriety, you'll get a burst of clarity. I think that the effects of alcohol only last as long as you're drunk or hungover. No, it's it affects you for so much longer in your body and your mind. And like, that's wild to me. So I'm hoping after 100 days, if I've noticed things that are like worth keeping, like if you're resetting. Another thing I liked about this is 
she then looks at because I, I really like quitting things. Like I like for for exactly what you just said. I love quitting things because it helps me look at my relationship with them. I've done sober months. I've been vegan for a while. I don't know what else I've quit. Tons of stuff. I like looking at my relationship with things by being like, I'm not going to do it for this long and just take a look. And something she talks about in this book, because she's not sober sober, as she calls it, <laughs> is like use is not calling it a relapse, but a calling it a reminder. So that if you drink again, you look at that experience and you think, what did I remember about why I don't drink usually from that? Or what did I remember about why I did want to drink? And that I find really helpful. I find it really helpful a lot of times when it's just like okay to not do something perfectly, basically, because I have a tendency where it's like, if I screw up, then I'm starting over from day one all the time. And I really like her thinking where it's like, no, that was a reminder. You're looking at that as a a thing you can get something from. That is it for me. The thing this whole podcast is for me is like every book, even when it doesn't apply to you at all necessarily, will have something that makes you go, oh, yeah. I need a word for it because it's going to come up again and again. And I can't just call it, oh, but <laughs> we had it like it was that weird sexist parable in the first book you did. And this is it for me, because I think me and the author of this book has the same relationship with perfectionism and maybe restriction as well. Like restriction for me is incredibly triggering. Any restriction for me makes me do whatever it is I'm trying to restrict, like times a thousand. But this is like, oh, yeah. When I've been trying to lessen the meat I eat or how much meat I eat, when I then have had meat, because I know it's important for me to not just do something cold turkey, I have done that automatically where I've gone, okay, so was that great? How mm -hmm. did that make me feel? Was that mm -hmm. was it easier? Was it better? Did it taste better? And then I go, actually, no, I actually didn't like the consistency. I didn't like the feeling. I didn't like the price. I didn't, whatever it is. I just love this. I wrote it down in my little notebook. Not relapse, but a reminder. Yeah. That was it for me. That was my moment. Oh, great. Yeah. So I guess we'll stop there then. Thank just you kidding. So much I got more to say. <laughs> <laughs> this was one for me was the next one was that addiction is not just doing the thing. Like it's not just, I don't think anybody would look at the way that I drank, how much I drank and be like, oh, you've got a problem. But it can be about how much time and energy you spend thinking about it. And that for me, I was like, oh yeah, that's what feels different about my drinking because I feel like I need to make rules. I don't feel at all the way that you feel about drinking where it's like every once in a while, I feel like it. If it's around, I'm going to feel like it. And because I have like the presence of mind and like the the social constructs as in like my family around me, I don't make the choice to do it, but it takes me so much energy to not make that choice. Even just now, I was just in France for two weeks at clown school. And I, knowing I had already pre-decided to not drink during that time was such a relief because I was like, but it's France. There's red wine. People were drinking all the time. And so because I didn't have to make that decision every night, whether or not to do it and like think about the math behind it, I just felt such relief. It is better for me to have a clear rule around it because of the space this takes up in my life, just like thinking about how to do it the right way, then why am I doing it? You know, I just have so much more mental capacity when I don't have to engage in that conversation with myself. Yeah, that makes total sense. And we already talked about this, but that is like that you don't have to be like seen as an alcoholic to ask, like, would my life be better without alcohol? For me, because I'm in this like gray area, my family isn't falling apart. My work life is going fine. Like I don't have to drink every night. I can not drink. I can make a choice. So because that's like within the realm of normal, especially in Denmark, I'm a comedian. Like I am surrounded by people who drink so much more than me <laughs> all the time, but that I'm allowed to question my relationship with alcohol because of whether it would improve for me if it weren't around. I like that about this book. She quotes a lot of self-help people because a lot of self-help people, people who write self-help books, people whose books we're going to be reading in this podcast are sober. Examples are Brene Brown, Cheryl Strade, Glennon Doyle. She does a lot of Marie Kondo talking, actually, but oh, she I don't know if Marie Kondo is sober enough, but I think she just has this idea that you should think about things in your life the same way that Marie Kondo thinks about like objects in your life. Ooh. So like alcohol, you should hold it up as though it's like a thing. Does this spark joy in my life? And that you should do that with components of your life. She likes that. I didn't really love that, but 
I thought it was cute the way she wanted to talk about other self-help people all the time. Do you know who else she wants to talk about all the time in this book? All the time? Go on. Russell Brand. Oh, alleged rapist. <laughs> Russell Brand. Alleged, yes. Yeah. I've never liked Russell Brand. I've always like kind of got the creeps from him from watching things. And now I know a lot more things about Russell Brand and I don't you like allegedly him know a lot of I allegedly know a lot of alleged, alleged things rapists. about Russell Brand. Russell Brand. And he says something in this where I'm like, I don't hate that though. And I was like, what a great example of this podcast. Is that a great Eden. example of this podcast? Of <laughs> quoting alleged rapists? Is that a great thing about the podcast? <laughs> it was gonna be a great example. It was gonna be a great example. Can I say when I when all the stuff about Russell Brand came out in the media, I spoke to my therapist about it, and she, this is my old therapist, and she had done a, she does a lot of work with uh, addicts and stuff. And when I said, "Oh, there's this thing about Russell Brand," she went, "I hate him, I hate Russell Brand," and I was like, "Oh, you know, you know too about the alleged rapes," and she went, "No." But I see so many people coming in with addictions who's read his book, and that has made them relapse. Oh my so god! So she's like, he is so damaging. He's so damaging. And I <sighs> listen. I don't know. I don't know, right? I'm not. A, I don't work with addicts. I have no idea about addiction. I haven't read his book. I haven't read alleged rapist uh, Russell Brand's book. But I was like, oh yeah, and also the alleged rapes, right? And she was like, oh, the addiction stuff is so bad. He's he's so harmful. So he I just want to say that called recovery. Yeah. Wow. All right, but I did read the chapter called Getting High on Your Own Supply. Oh, you did read the one that the, the Alice, and Alice S. on Goodreads didn't want you to read. Yes. But what I liked about that is, this is the actual quote from the book, which is, some of the higher vibrational feeling states I used alcohol to attempt to access were relaxation, amusement, connection, pleasure, transcendence. The good news is I experience all these highs Okay, right. So she says, like, I can still experience all of those highs that she was chasing with alcohol. And this chapter is irritating. I used to do this with, like, <laughs> when I was a teacher, I taught eight to 12 year olds. And we, it was like at a school where a lot of the time they were like self directed, like playing or doing projects themselves. And we made a whole wall of our classroom into the board wall because so much would be like, what do I do? What do I do? And we like made lists of things like that they wanted to remember that they wanted to do when they were bored. And it was just like all over the wall, like, uh, I want to do a claymation. I want to, that was very fun to make, sometimes helpful at the, in the actual moments. I'd be like, well, go look at the board wall. Like, was there anything that you wanted to do that you could do right now? A lot of times it just felt like nagging <laughs> to be like, go look at this board of things we brainstormed before. <laughs> this chapter of her book feels like it was brainstormed by sixth graders with a guidance counselor to be like what can you do it really felt like that exactly what is I was ideas like, hmm. what you can do instead of drinking yeah so she would be like when i want to transcend i'll take a bath or do a yoga class and like she does like a paragraph on each thing i did really want to tell you this best best quote in the whole thing because she had when she wanted to connect like have sexual pleasure she would drink alcohol but now she had to like have real conversations with her partners about it but i needed to say this was a quote from the book Luckily, when your lover is a Pisces, there's a degree of intuition at work, thank goddess. <laughs> no. <laughs> that gave me like a sick feeling somewhere. Uh. I do think it could be helpful for me to make my own version of like a board wall. When am I wanting to drink? What else can give me that feeling? Or is it enough to just like notice? And I think that often that is the answer, right? The answer is just noting what you want that you think alcohol is going to fill the like hole for. Can and I make a wild suggestion? Please. It comes with a tiny little anecdote. I'll make it quick. The first time I got drunk, me and my friend, Sarah, we were like 14 years old, 15, 15. And my brother was trying to make us drink because he was a DJ and a party promoter. And, uh, <laughs> was he really? Is that true? He's a, he was a promoter. He, he Not a DJ, thank God. Uh, he was a magician, though. Magician and a party promoter. Great guy. And um, he was like, stop being losers. You need to start drinking because it's Denmark and you're 14 or 15, whatever. So we were like, no, we're not losers. We need alcohol to have fun. And fortunately, I'm no longer that. <laughs> 
But we were like in his flat and then he went out and we were like, oh my God, let's do it. And we took this big bottle of vodka that he had. It had to be clear because we needed to fill it back up so he wouldn't notice. And then we like shared a bottle of vodka between us. Oh my God, no. And we were always like, just fell about the room, knocked things over. We were slurring our spirit like, fuck, this is bad. We were so drunk. And then we filled up the bottle and put it back. And then he came home and we were like trying to not seem drunk. We're just like, hi, how are you? <laughs> and he took one look at us and then he went into his room and he came back with the bottle, which we'd filled up to the very, very top. So like very obviously something has happened here. And he went, have you drunk my vodka? And we were like, no, we have not drunk your bottle of vodka. And then he said it was water. Oh my God. <laughs> and, the, and the alcohol, it went away like that. Like I genuinely felt drunk. It felt the same. And I, hadn't, I didn't even know how drunk felt, but I was drunk. And then Sarah started crying because it was so embarrassing. I think she had a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this is the worst. This is so embarrassing. And he made fun of us for years and years. But here's a suggestion based on that. I do think that sometimes placebo is probably a thing. I think we've seen that before. Why not just get a glass of sparkling water or whatever with some lemon in it and then tell yourself this is alcohol <laughs> and then tell yourself you're drunk. I think you can have the drunkness without alcohol. Okay, Sophie. Thank you. Try, no, try it. Stop yeah. being like that. Try it. Okay. I'm going to Don't try make it. that face. Okay. Try it. I think it could work. Okay. Or have an, a deal with a friend where you're like, I'm going to ask you to get me a gin and tonic and then you're not going to do that. That's uh huh. And then, but you That's have to agree. then tell yeah. me that it is a gin and tonic. So if it was me, I'd be like, shit, I'm so sorry. I forgot that you told me to not actually get you one. Do you want me to get you another one or is this fine? And it then you'll be like, oh, fuck, okay, I guess I'll do it. But then I have actually gotten you just a water. The amount of emotional manipulation you are willing to play on yourself <laughs> is incredible. I can't and that is wait. why you are listening to the Scorpio and the Aquarius. <laughs> wild. That is so wild. Why don't you just lie to yourself, Abby? Why don't you just construct a world in which you don't know what's real? Wow. Okay. Well, I, I really... I don't, genuinely don't see the problem with this. I think it's a brilliant okay. idea. Good. I'm fascinated. I even actually think while my partner's been sober all year, he's drank so many non-alcoholic beers. And I am like, stop it. <laughs> like, I don't say it to him because I think it's just, it's great or whatever. But I'm like, why are you trying to trick yourself? I feel like that's even trying to trick yourself. Because I- oh, Drinking non-alcoholic alcohol, what's the point? Then you just get the taste, but not the fun. Yeah. The taste yeah. is the worst bit of it. What's the point? Drink a you in Denmark. You have red soda, which is the best drink in the whole uh, world. You could just have that. A lot I went of things into, you say really upset me. So I went into Susanne Dana, which oh. is now a, it's a Danish shop that's now in London for the first time yesterday, and I thought I saw the red soda in their fridge, and I went like this. <gasps> but if five you... people turned around and thought I was dying, and I was like, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry," because I thought it was that drink. So why would you have non-alcoholic beers when you could have a red soda? That's all I'm saying. I'm glad that they don't have it there, though, because I think it is one of the main things that you like me for is that I'm willing to bring you red soda yeah. from Denmark. Yes, it is. Okay. You once left a rye bread outside of my door and then walked away, which is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. Yeah, I thought that was really nice of me. And I didn't realize at the time nice. that you had a ring cam. <laughs> and then recently you like posted all this stuff about how you were watching. And I was like, oh, you were watching me do that nice thing? Like that felt like, <laughs> ugh. That felt, ugh. I just need to know what star sign is your partner. He's also an Aquarius. Oh, okay. Yeah, we really like each other. We're like, oh my God, great. Great. Let's never make a commitment to anything in our lives apart from ourselves. Yeah, we made a lot of life commitments. We made a lot to each other, to our children. For Aquariuses. I made one to this podcast. This is a podcast for life. And now you know, because I said it, if we ever end this podcast, Sophie's fault. The main thing I got from this book, because this book was not for me, but a main big, big thing that I got from it was like this hopefulness about the age that we live in, which I usually don't have. Generally, my opinion about the time I live in is I am great around a fire. 
You know, people like me. I'm a good listener. I look really good in that lighting. Why are we on the internet where there's so many people to compare ourselves to? If there was one fire in the village, people would want to listen to me sing songs and tell stories. And I would not, it wouldn't matter that I wasn't the best at any of it. <laughs> any of it. Any of it. Yes. There's too many people to compare me with now. I don't like the internet. But for things like this, this really made me, because I've been like immersing myself in Quitlet, that's uh, that's uh, literature about quitting, mostly drinking alcohol, I guess other things too. And I've been listening to podcasts. Some people give me this thing of it. Some people give me this part of it that I find beneficial. But just in general, that you can cloak yourself at this time in the world. You can cloak yourself. You can surround yourself with messaging that you want to hear about whatever you're trying to do. It's so nice to be in a time where like I could listen to so many things about sobriety while I've been doing this. This book exists for the people who like this kind of book. There are different ways of looking at it. And it's not 20 years ago when I first heard about like alcoholics and sobriety and was convinced that you had to only look at that relationship if you had ruined your life. That felt so exciting. I like that. Yeah. I am so lucky that right now that dry January is a thing. It's like normal for people to at least quit for January and that people are like learning to talk about it that way. And I'm not like alone struggling in this. This is like in general consciousness. And I feel really glad about that. I love that. This is a quick note just to let you all know that in the we know that in the first two episodes, we were like, send us your question and we'll answer them on the podcast. But a thing we've learned from doing the first two episodes and now this third episode is that it turns out books are long and <laughs> we, we just don't have time to cover an entire book and then also have questions at the end of the episode. So we'll keep the question box up on the website, helpful.com, and you can still submit your dilemmas and we will answer them, but we'll answer them on Patreon in bonus episodes every once in a while. So sorry that that was changed, but we did an oopsie. <laughs> Oh my gosh, thank you for listening to Help Hole. We have a Patreon where we release bonus episodes and a self-helping newsletter written by us. We already have three episodes up on Patreon from when we watched the movie Yes Man and when we watched Eat, Pray, Love. And there's much more coming up. It's three pounds a month, which is like less than a pound a week, which is technically nothing. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash helphole. Yay. Please also subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast and tell people about it. If you like it, please tell them. Also, I, we have 35 star reviews on Spotify, which is the yeah. only number I can see. And I'm so excited. It's so nice. Thank you so That's much. So please. Many. The next episode of Help Hold will be out on February 19th, where I'm going to present to you Atomic Habits. And the next bonus episode is about Dolly Parton. The last one was about Eat, Pray, Love. And they're so much fun. I really love the bonus episodes. I think we're going to yeah, have so to much. show people on here the bonus episodes because I don't think that they really realize yeah. what. Let's give some, some trailers and stuff for them to yeah. listen to. But if you do want to listen to them, join our Patreon. They are full length episodes. They're long and wonderful and really episodes. goofy. Unedited as well. Fun stuff. And a big thank you to our wonderful producer, Amanda Redman, and to Nikki Elson for the jingle. Bye. 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 Bye.